Just what the heck is going on with The Gifted? We finally get a, a decent episode of American Horror Story Apocalypse. DCTV has made their return. Uh, I have some wishy-washy feelings about The Good Place. I've watched Titans. Ooh, girl. So, that's me. I'm Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I'm going to be diving in like I normally do for the Curvy Geeky Fangirl Recaps Podcast, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl Podcast, because... That's that's how it got named. That don't I don't understand my thought process either. But this is where we are. So I told you guys I'm gonna do this weekish Lee. Look at me. I'm doing it. Consistency. Check it. Give me my props. So that also being said, like I said, my name is Joe, and you can find me and this mess of a podcast almost anywhere you listen to podcasts right now. So we're talking about iTunes. We're talking about Google Play. I am 98% sure there's something called Google Podcasts. If you're an Android user, I'm pretty sure there's something called Google Podcasts. I'm on that thing. Spotify, Stitcher, a slew of other things done through the Anchor app. So more than likely, wherever you listen to podcasts, this will pop up. And if I pop up, do me the solid, do me the favor. Go ahead and subscribe, rate it so I know what you guys are thinking. I'm here for all of it fantastically you can also find me at curvygeekyfangirl.com i don't just do this fantastic podcast y'all i also am the fashion uh, and lifestyle editor for forallnerds.com check the title it's new i'm flaunting it everywhere so granted it is just the title but it, you know it doesn't matter i feel special so that is happening also the stuff that's normally going on curvygeekyfangirl.com not gonna lie not a lot of stuff is happening. I'm basically just doing Tumblr-esque. But you can check out all of the work I've done. There's tons, oh, tons, oh, tons of fandom fashions out there. I have plans in the works to get more fandom fashions on there. It's going to happen. There might be some moving. There might be some secretness happening in the background right now. But it's going to get there. Bear with me. Otherwise, you can find those fandom fashions on forallnerds.com. Check out those articles as well. Back to this podcast, though. So... Like I said, I usually recap the latest TV and film that I catch every so often a book. This week, y'all, I got books. I got books on books on books. Just kidding. Two books. Let's not, let's not get crazy. I got mangas. So I am caught up with My Hero Academia and the manga version. And I am caught up with their side or spinoff series, Vigilantes. Both books, great. I was a little confused at the timeline for Vigilantes, not gonna lie. I think that got sorted. So I'm going to be discussing that. I'm going to be discussing what I just read from the mangas. I'm going to be discussing American Horror Story, like I mentioned. Good Place, The Gifted, DCTV coming back. Some additions to DCTV. Who knows? Who knows? And I'm going to touch a little bit on Doctor Who. I'm going to try and do a full like Doctor Who breakdown because the show means a lot to me. It was the catalyst to a lot of the geekiness that I am currently just like really... reveling in right now so it needs its own moment but I will touch on it during this podcast as always with this podcast it is spoilers all around if you haven't caught any of these shows American Horror Story Apocalypse The Good Place Gifted The Flash Black Lightning The Titan Show that streamed on DC Universe and Doctor Who if you haven't caught any of these pause here catch up then come back 
and let me know what you guys are thinking. If you're listening to this podcast through the Anchor app, there is a way to record your own thoughts and feelings. That way you can send it my way. I might even post it for the show. You know, things and stuff and stuff and things. There you go. So right after this, we're going to be jumping into American Horror Story Apocalypse. A lot of stuff went down. A lot of stuff went down right after this. What up, everybody? It is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I just want to take a moment to talk to you guys about ForAllNerds.com. So you guys know, if you've been listening, I am a contributor, or was a contributor, to a lovely podcast slash pop culture media sensation called FanBros.com. They've recently gone through a name change because... This one's just better, and it is called ForAllNerds.com. They are still doing the podcast also under the For All Nerds name, so you should definitely check it out if you get the chance. Your girl has recently been elevated in title, so I am now the fashion and lifestyle editor for ForAllNerds.com. So if you get the chance, absolutely take it. go ahead and check it out. Check out the website. It's fancy and new. It's just so shiny and bright. I've got articles there. My first ever interview is there. It's done with Marcy Harrell if you get the chance. I also have my regular fandom fashion breakdowns, and I'm trying to do something a little newer by including articles about where you can buy already ready-made geek fantastic outfits at stores that are centered around that dynamic. So check out forallnerds.com. Check out their podcast, For All Nerds. Get in on this geeky information, this geeky insight. It is told by geeks of color from the perspective of nerds of color, because yes, all of the things and whatnot. Here we go. American Horror Story Apocalypse. This last episode, the fifth episode of whatever number season this is. Ten? Nine? It's it's up there. It's up there. It's been a while. I think I mentioned in the last episode just how long it's been. I want to say ten. I want to say this is episode season ten. Now I've got to Google it because you know me. I don't do my research ahead of time to be all ready for you guys ever ever just never ever happens and then i'm over here just like trying to fill up the space anyway so american horror Story apocalypse episode five of whatever season this is right now that is happening wasn't terrible it wasn't bad i was i was pleasantly surprised with what was happening in this it's season eight i got it i figured it out there we go listen my biggest complaint has been the lack of coven in the series we like I like I went on a rant about in the previous episode we spent three of the hard-earned 10 episodes we're getting for this season on a story that apparently means nothing means nothing and I'm not getting over that and now we're in episode five this is the middle this is where things are supposed to start hitting their climax so we start to get some sort of resolution for the end of the series. Not a nice little, you know, packaged in a neat bow type of ending, but some kind of closure for the end of the series. And it feels like it just started. I don't know if that's purposeful. More than likely that's because this also had covenant in it. So I'm like, now we're getting into the meat of things. Either way, we did get a lot of good things coming out of this episode. So that being said, I wanted to break it down into what was happening with Michael I'm going to call it Chapter Michael. What's happening with Cordelia and the Coven? Chapter Cordelia and the Coven. And what's going on with the Warlocks, a.k.a. Chapter the Warlocks. So let me start it off with Chapter Michael. Here we go. Michael, as we all know, is basically Damien. He's going to be the son of Satan. 
He's in full, I was gonna say throws, full plan stage, whatever. He basically has a full stage plan going with the foster mom that took care of him, who's also a Satanist. And this is kind of where we see that, I mean, we knew Michael was up to some shady shit. He's the son of the devil. He's he's terrible. He's evil. And we kind of got a basis of that in the first three episodes. You see him come in with the glorious locks, right? And he's just fucking shit up immediately when he comes into the little safe place area. And was he instrumental in the deaths of those? I think he was. I think he was instrumental in the deaths of all those characters we spent a stupid amount of time with who mean nothing, apparently. So all of that. We know he's bad news. We also got the little tidbit between him and Mallory in the third episode, I want to say, before they killed all the characters off and we started getting all this backstory. And that was like the little showdown where, (laughs) again... I don't know if this is an acting choice by the actress or if this is how this character is written, but a very like stagnant, like stunted (laughs) Mallory basically tells him that like she feels she's dueling with two personas and she feels like she's got all this power around her and she's scared of it. And they had like a mini yelling bout in which she got to see his true face and made fire like zoom out of the fireplace. They've been doing a lot to show that Mallory is like basically going to be the next Supreme. Fourth episode showed her basically being a Mary Sue. Now, I mean that with no shade. If you know the term Mary Sue, it is from the science fiction genre. It basically, before we had fan fiction, it was still fans writing fiction about their their favorite things. Um, it was a derogatory term coined by a lot of males in the industry who felt like this was a way to take down somebody who was writing themselves into these stories. So it usually was like whoever the, the author was of this particular story, they would write themselves in as the special. They were this like intensely likable, everybody wants her and most powerful being in all of the stories. No flaws, like no, char- no character arcs, nothing. Just all these characters fighting over them and them just being the special. They called it being a Mary Sue. I use that term with Mallory uh, because that's what's happening. She's immediately the special. We don't see any workup as to why she is. We don't see her dealing immediately with a lot of obstacles. I mean, we got to see that she was the assistant to Coco and Coco was terrible. Turns out Coco was like this in in the, the real version of her as well as the facade one that the witches made, so. That never changed, which kind of makes me like Coco more. So there's that. But Mallory is just like off the bat, immediately the special, like no questions asked. She's using ability without any qualms. She's bringing things back to life with no problems. Like, and you see Cordelia kind of like hitch a breath, like, oh shit. Like, it's just like, wait a second. Cause she's kind of showing that she's gonna be the next Supreme. Like these are hints if you've watched Coven, that she is going to be the next Supreme. It's usually a witch that's stupid strong, stupid strong in ability, and then takes over the next Supreme. The catch with being the Supreme is that it's not a mantle you get to retire from. You gotta die, and then that title gets transferred over to the next person. Them's the rules. For the longest in the season three of all the American Horror Stories with Coven, they thought it was Zoe. Zoe was a super, super strong witch, 
and during that storyline, everybody thought she was going to be the Supreme, but she ends up failing one of the tests and Cordelia ends up excelling and now she's Supreme. She's a good Supreme, let's not lie. I just don't like how they are prepping up Mallory to be the next one. I'm hoping it's gonna be another dodge and reflect type of deal. I don't even know if that's the right terminology, but that's what I'm gonna say. Because that's what they did to us in Coven. They made it look like this witch that seems to be super, super stupid strong in ability is going to be the next to pick up the mantle and then it turned out to be somebody completely else. So I'm hoping that's what we're gonna get here. We're gonna get Mallory, who is descendant of Salem witches for some reason. Wouldn't they all be? Anyway, and just shows like this incredible potential with her ability, but it ends up that the next Supreme is gonna be Zoe or Queenie or even Madison, even Coco. I would take Coco over Mallory right now because Mallory doesn't do shit right now. Like I get that they're trying to make her a super strong character for some reason, but we haven't gotten to see her do a lot other than wait on Coco hand and foot. And even then it was like side snippets and you get you get that she doesn't like having to do that for Coco. But that's pretty much it. Like you don't get any kind of character building with Mallory. She's she's literally like a doll. So that rant aside, so that's what we're seeing. And the reason I bring that up is because in this episode, we see that Cordelia is dying. She's dying. Her body is starting to decay before our very eyes. And she makes Michael the Supreme as the warlocks want. They put, they have him, she has him go through the final testing for, I still don't remember what it was called. The, the seven hells, the seven, something, the testing. They do the testing. He passes all of them. He even goes and saves Misty. We get a return from Misty, a fave of mine. I love that she's a witch who's tied to necromancy, but she's like just a hippie about it. Like it like believes in like life energies and like, <laughs> like meditation and whatnot. She helped bring back um, Evan Peters character in the Coven series. There was a whole situation where Madison and Zoe like went to a frat party. It did not end well. A horrific bugs accident happened. And the boy that Zoe liked just like ended up in pieces. So they tried to like zombie him together and he got stupid violent. And then they were like, shit, we're in over our heads. And then he kind of shows up at Misty's doorstep and she figures out how to fix him because she's, she's dabbling in that end of that of things, you know? And she figures out how to fix him, how to get him a little bit, you know, closer back together. And it works. He doesn't speak a whole lot. I don't know if that's brain damage or shock both in that series he does not speak a lot he does a lot of just visual acting so are we gonna see a return to him i don't know anyway so all that's happening how does this tie to michael michael went and got misty out of the loop that she was in so misty was to do the testing as well at the end of the last season or not the last season the coven season and she kind of gets stuck when they are sent to hell. There is a testing where you've got to die and then like bring yourself back. Basically, you get sent to hell. You get sent to your own hell and you've got to shake yourself out of it and bring yourself back. Like realize where you are and then get yourself out of there. Poor poor Misty though is taken to like her worst experience ever and that's being in bio, like a biology class as a teenager and having to dissect and living animal. She always had she was always in tune with her ability. 
So for her, seeing this dead animal, it was no problem for her to bring it back. But then in her hell, she has to go and continue to kill this poor creature over and over and over again. So she's she's stuck there. She can't shake herself out of it. And nobody else can go back and get her in this particular realm. So as part of Michael's testing, Cordelia's like, not only do you have to do this, but you got to bring this girl back. And it shouldn't be a big deal. He brought back Queenie. He brought back Madison. It should not be a problem. So he goes, he does it. He brings her back. We get Misty back. We get a random Stevie Nicks interlude. Listen, I love Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks is an icon. She is. She is a rock goddess. Absolutely. Do I need a full pseudo music video? No. No, I don't. Not in the middle of this story. Not when we only have five more episodes left. I don't need all of this. So whatever we still we still get that um back to Michael but so (laughs) this is supposed to be Michael chapter and I'm just all over the place right now so the Michael chapter because things that happened he becomes a supreme he wins the test he becomes a supreme he has Cheyenne Jackson's character killed off he he is either omnipotent I wouldn't put it past him that he is or he's he's got some kind of like spell that he can just watch anybody at any given time who's plotting against Probably, but he knows that Cheyenne Jackson's character never trusted him. And now he's about to make some kind of big move. He's like, I'm going to go talk to the witches. I'm going to tell them what I know about Michael. And we're going to put a stop to him because he's evil. Because he's evil. He has a whole showdown with Beholden, Billy Porter's character, uh, who has always been on the side of, yay, we're (laughs) we're finally getting an alpha. We're finally going to show these witch bitches who's the best which I'm going to touch back on because they had a full conversation about how the women need to know their place and men need to be on top. It was very interesting. So, but you got Cheyenne Jackson's character who's just like not with Michael though. Michael is evil. So Beholden tries to stop Cheyenne Jackson's character from leaving. It doesn't work. He's clearly a stronger warlock than Beholden's character, but not strong enough of a warlock to realize that he is going to be murdered at a gas station. He gets killed. He gets killed at a gas station by the foster mom to Michael and burnt right then and there, body into ashes already. Um, But they also have, uh, what do they call him? The high chancellor? I'm going to say that. The high chancellor warlock on their side as well. They, apparently, the High Chancellor Warwick still does not know that Michael's the son of the devil. He still has no idea. So that's why he's so strong in his abilities right now. But they're using him to gain their advantage. So apparently, the foster mom got tipped off by the High Chancellor that Cheyenne Jackson's character was about to go to the witches to get help. And he was instrumental in locating where Cheyenne Jackson was so that he could be murdered by the, by the foster mom. And he's aware that he was murdered by the foster mom. He just thinks it was for a, gra- a grander purpose than what is evident because he's dumb so we get that also what else did we get for the michael chapter um that's really it that's really it for the michael chapter i was very interested to see what else they were going to do uh, I'm, i've been reading some conversations around michael how lot of people are falling in love with the actor who plays him that i get i get falling in love with the actor who plays him he's doing a really good job of balancing somebody who's crazy manipulative and completely apathetic to people like completely doesn't care does not care and does a really good job of pretending that he does so i can see how a lot of people are like oh but you know maybe he just needs love no he's the son of the devil like let's please don't do it to yourself 
But uh, I forgot what I was going to say about Michael. But oh, Cordelia's plan. So into the coven chapter here. Coven chapter. I got to give it to Cordelia. I did not think that she was going to have the insight to have a plan in place when she just started putting Michael through all of the separate testing events here. I thought she was just hoping he was going to die. But it turns out she was just trying to see like what kind of hand they're being dealt with Michael being the Supreme. Um, and she kind of lets Merle and everybody know like what's going on. She's dying. She's fading. They need a Supreme in place. They, they, have, they have to have one in place. And by allowing Michael to do what he's doing and to get as far as he is, it's buying them time to figure out how to take him the fuck down. So you see all of that in the midst of the, the you know, the Stevie Nicks interlude, you see Cordelia pull Madison aside and she basically tells her, listen, bitch, we need to get as much information about Michael as possible, as humanly possible. And she, that's when we see the hints for Murder House. We're going to, she's like, we need to start where it began. Yada, 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 yada. You see, pray tell, AKA Beholden Chablis, AKA Billy Porter's character, come out the, from the shadows. And he's, she's just like eavesdropped much. And he's like, yes, bitch. But then he's also like, I'm going to go with you because I also have some reservations. A little abrupt in the mood change? Absolutely. I understand we're supposed to connect the fact that his friend is missing with his sudden interest in wanting to go, but they never addressed that he realized that his friend is missing. They never addressed that. They never got a part where they were like, where's Cheyenne Jackson's character? Has anybody seen him? Like we never got that part. So all of a sudden he's just like, me too. Or we're supposed to buy that Cheyenne Jackson's speech to him before he left was enough for him to like, really, really stir some doubt in him. Either way, I don't know how long this is going to last because we got the future version of everything in those first three episodes. Not a warlock in sight, not a one. So question, oh, but now I think I know why we have those damn teens. Real quick, into the coven chapter, <laughs> real quick. Well, my thoughts are all over the freaking place here. I love that Misty automatically did not trust Michael, automatically. She was like, ooh, are you gonna come save me when he comes down to get her? Like we get a side scene from her view, her, perspe- her perspective of what happened when he went to go get her out of her own hell. And there's a whole part there, well, A, he gave her the hippie and she's, she's somebody who very much trusts her own instincts. So she knew something was not right with him. And then on top of that, he had like this weird demonic conversation with the demons that have been torturing her this entire time. Their eyes were back in their heads. Their eyes turned white. They just started doing like a weird silent scream. And you see him like trying to listen. And then he pulls her out. So she was like, listen, I know things are not on the up and up. Shit is getting crazy. I don't know what we got to do. You might have to count me out because I'm a, I'm a fucking mess. I've been in hell for a very long time. I lost a lot of time. So, and that's why we got the Stevie Nicks interlude. That's why she came. Cause that's like her son's source. Like that's, that's how she gets her energy. This, this is her favorite person in the world. So that's why Stevie Nicks was there. But I love that Misty automatically is with the sense. And it's just like, he's evil. I don't want to be anywhere near him. I don't trust his ass. Love it. Loved all of it. Um, what else? Well, we also got the Coco story. So we got the story behind Coco and her being a witch. Because I was not going to lie. I was a little confused when they were like, she's one of our sisters. I was like, how exactly? And we get her story. And I love that her story is very much Coco-esque. So it's very much her still being this rich high society snob. 
but she gets like these these feelings when there's gluten in a food product (laughs) and that's how she knew she was a witch hilarious Um, i feel like they're trying to explain that there's some history of, of of witch identity in her family otherwise how would her dad even know to bring her to the the school in the first place but she's like, it's a dumb power. I can just tell when the gluten's in a food product. Like, that's it. That's all I can do. And I love that Cordelia spins the shit out of that stuff. And she's like, listen, what you have is the ability to save people from, you know, intestinal distress. Like, like, like you have, there's a savior quality to your ability. And if you come to the school, we will show you how to nurture that, possibly grow it, possibly expand it to something else. This could be the beginning of something that's a lot bigger than all of us. Kind of kind of a speech, cause she Cordelia, she gonna look at the positive of everything. It works. And you see Mallory come in and kind of lead Coco out and we see how those two connected at that time. I like that little side story. And I also feel like it's a side story to like not discount Coco, mind you. All of this back and forth that we're dealing with, we've only been dealing with back, like flashbacks for the last ever right now. There's still, technically, everybody is still in the safe house. Technically, Coco's crazy deranged, radioactive ex is still roaming the halls of this place after having killed her, thinking he successfully killed her. We still have Michael in full Michael form, like post-graduation, I'm assuming, of the Warlock School like raining in the halls, like all of that's on pause while we get these last two episodes of back or flashbacks. So what, what, but anyway, so uh, back to that conversation about the women being, you know, put in their place type of thing. I like that they had that whole conversation. I like that the high chancellor was the one to say it, that he was the one to be like, we need to put these bitches in a place. They need to understand that they are beneath us, essentially. And then to have um, at least three of the four agree with him. Cheyenne Jackson's character aside was like, I don't know, I'm not with Michael. Like the, the whole time, just like, not with Michael. I don't know if he was against it entirely, but he definitely didn't want Michael to be a part of it. But I thought, I, I found that conversation very interesting because it's a conversation that's very relevant to right now. But I also feel like it is foreshadowing to who is going to get killed next. So there's that. Because we know eventually he's, this chancellor is going to have to eat his worlds. Michael's a devil incarnate. He is. He's a devil incarnate living on our plane right now. So interesting. Very, very interesting. But yeah, so all around the episode was, was, I feel like we could have got this episode last seat, last episode. I don't think we needed that Michael standalone episode. This, all the information we got about Michael in this current episode, in the fifth episode, basically still reiterated what we got in episode four. We did not need that episode, I feel, story-wise. We're in episode five of a 10-episode series. Anyway, anywho, but I also don't know the full story. Maybe this all pans out. And... Uh, my my awe moment there a couple minutes back I was thinking like why the fuck did we have these teenagers why did they make such a fucking big deal about these two people this boy and this girl being these you know prospects for continuing humanity this entire time why did we need them what if they're magic what if the girl's a witch and what if the boy is a warlock like what if that's what's going on and that's how they're going to solve everything like what if those two are are the key 
to this magic fight between the two of them. That's probably what they've been doing, but the fact that, that we learn so much about them and then they just kill them off just really upsetting me. So, so more, I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if those two make a miraculous recovery towards the end of this season and we see how they play into a bigger part. I wouldn't be surprised. Or if those two are needed to create like another Antichrist on Earth. Whatever happens, who knows? But yeah, so I mean, like I said, episode five, not too bad. Gave us a lot of more information. Gave us some fantastic Billy Porter quotes, as always. Always love it. Return of Misty Day, still a fan. Um, we got the Madison stand. We have a Madison standalone episode to look forward to. Her and Beholden, their travel to get to the murder house. That's going to be interesting. Apparently, mur- the murder house episode is going to be the longest episode of the season. I think in no small part uh, for, of having Jessica Lane back in the picture. She is legitimately a legend. So I get it. I get why we're like, ooh, as much time as we can with her. Great. So we'll see. We'll see how that works. I would love to have more Queenie. I would love to basically just have a Coven sequel at some point. Like of just, just the witches. I don't care about anybody else. I'll include the warlocks. I'll include the warlocks as well. But outside of that, I don't, I don't need... The, the evil humpback lady who apparently didn't matter whatsoever uh, or the grandmother or Evan Peters barber character who also apparently did not matter like that I mean it's a hope that's gonna go in the wind we're not gonna get it but I'll put it out there and and yeah oh I also want to see what's going on with Tate if we go back to murder house we're gonna see what's happening to Tate technically he was a ghost technically he's not supposed to age but you know they're gonna come up with some reasonings probably but are we gonna see him when last we saw him he was being trapped in his own separate purgatory with the other dangerous ghosts by the family that also died in that house is that gonna happen we'll see who knows all right i spent too much time on this so we're gonna be switching it over (laughs) and talking about some quick quick shows over here and that's gonna be the good place um, I'm going to wrap up The Gifted real fast because that show is continually to not give me gifts. So there's that as well, right after this. Hey there, listener. This is Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. And I thought I'd take a minute to let you know about another podcast that I do with a friend of mine called The People of Culture Podcast with Shay Cherie Show. So that podcast basically touches on anything culture through the perspective of two women of color. So we give our opinions on a lot of different things and we discuss a lot of different topics that's not necessarily only revolved around geek culture. So if you were in the mood for listening to another podcast or to add another podcast to your list, you should definitely check us out. And that is the People of Culture Podcast. You can also find us on our website, thepocpodcast.com. All right, The Good Place. So... I thought I was going to recap this episode to episode, but there's not a lot happening episode to episode. They kind of just repeat the same formula for the last three episodes. And that formula is uh, harping on the importance of the four staying together, the four being Tahani, Eleanor, Chidi, and Jason. Uh, Michael and Janet finding their way down to earth to intervene so that the, the four stay on track. Eleanor inevitably trying to separate herself from the group. Eleanor inevitably being pulled right back into the group. Michael and Janet dealing with the af- the immediate consequences of them trying to intervene on behalf of the four in the first place. Like that's what we've been getting. The only big changes have been the tiny twists 
at the end, which are the only things that have been really propelling the story forward in the first place. So the first one was the gateway to get down to earth, the guy with the key, him figuring out what Michael was doing. And then after that, it was a judge figuring out what Michael was doing and also stopping the demon that was there. And then after that, it was Janet and Michael trying to figure out a way, well, figuring out a way to sneak around the judge to get back down to earth. And now we're dealing with Michael and Janet trying to figure out another way to sneak around the judge, but getting caught by the core group, the core four. I, I feel like I have to binge watch this show. I binged the first season. Did I binge the second season? I think I binged the second season too. And it was, I was able to really enjoy it in its full storytelling that way. They're not long episodes, like I said before. They're like 30 minutes. They are a feel-good show, but they are kind of repetitive. right? At least definitely right now. I feel like in the earlier seasons, we at least got a little bit of a different story with an overarching theme the entire time. We still have that overarching theme of them trying to get into the good place, but the episode-to-episode is just really slow in progression. So that's pretty much it for the good place. Like, that's... That's it. I'm still going to keep watching it. I'm probably going to end up binge watching it again. Like I'll probably skip like a couple episodes and then try to go back to catch it. Because right now they're kind of just like wading in the water right now. They're just like treading water in place, not really doing anything. So we'll see. We'll see what's happening. But I also kind of feel like that's what's happening with The Gifted. So to be fair, this latest episode of The Gifted is probably the one I had the most fun watching, I will say. There was a lot happening. There was a lot more action happening. Not so much about the whiny Von Struckers. Like, honestly, why? Why are they still here? But we, we've we got them. Uh, we got a Johnny Clarice chapter. We got a Marcos chapter. And then we got a Daddy Von Strucker chapter. And I'm going to do my best to stick to the chapters I just told you. So, because it's going to be fast. It's going to be cheap. It's going to be fast. I'm not going to say cheap because... Maybe cheap. Anyway, chapter Johnny Clarice. Johnny, aka Thunderbird, uh, he's kind of going through it right now. He's going through his emo phase right now. He feels like he's responsible for all of the failures that the Mutant Underground has faced. Mind you, he was not the only person running the Mutant Underground. And I feel like Polaris should have a big chunk of that guilt that he's feeling because he wasn't alone. He wasn't the sole leader anyway. He's still dealing with the aftermath of Atlanta. And after talking to, what's her face? Regina? Eugenia? Whoever the lawyer chick was. He feels just like a lot more weight on his shoulder. Like, ooh, this is my screw up and I gotta fix it. I gotta get these people out of the Hellfire 2.0 club. Yada, yada, yada. I gotta do what I gotta do. So him and Clarice end up going down under the ground to visit Irk. That's his name. And really, we're being introduced to the Morlocks. We get introduced to the Morlocks kind of crappily, honestly. Like, I was expecting so much more. Morlocks in the X-Men animated series were the coolest. They were the coolest mutants you came across. I mean, they had this core group dynamic. Uh, They were the ones I definitely most heavily identified with. You know, they felt completely paralyzed by how they were seen in the outside world, in the, you know, the upper what did they call it? Top level world? Anyway, basically, they could not hide the fact that they were mutants. That's why they were underground. They have to deal with crazies trying to kill them, ripping voice boxes out of people. Like, they, they don't pass in the other, the other world. 
And so you see her kind of take to blink because she too is like them. She is very visibly a mutant. And he kind of tries to like strike a deal with her. And she's like, do you want me to be a spy? And he doesn't respond. But in order for her to get the information she needs to get for them to break Andy and Polaris out of the Hellfire Club 2.0, she makes some sort of agreement because she gets the information. There was a whole scene when they're underground and they kind of get caught by the Morlock security squad, which apparently is just a lot of people looking very uncomfortable, but holding guns. And Clarice is like, Johnny, aren't you bulletproof? Can't you take these guys down? And he gives her this look like, bitch, you are not bulletproof. He tells her, you're not bulletproof, nicely. But the look said, bitch, you know you are not bulletproof. If I just start caving in heads right here and there, what makes you think a straight bullet is not gonna hit you? Like what, why, why do you think you're not bulletproof? Dumb. So, but I did like that small moment there. Just, just, just this look he gives her like, are you an idiot? Like why, what, what are you saying? That was a highlight for me. I audibly cackled. So they did get that out of me. Uh, in the chapter um, Marco section, Marco also is dealing with a lot of feelings. It's a very emo over here at the gifted. Just a lot of feelings and not a lot of action happening. But okay, I still think Marco's name should be Sunburn. I know it's Eclipse. I found that it's Eclipse. I still think it should be Sunburned. Nothing he does is an Eclipse. It's, a, it's straight sunlight on his hand. And he burns stuff with it. Sunburn. I'm calling him Sunburn. That's what we're doing. So Marcos, a.k.a. Sunburn. He's also trying to drink his feelings away. He's missing Polaris. He knows the baby was born. He's missing baby. He kind of feels stuck. He doesn't know what to do exactly. He can't just like rally the crew, the meager crew they got left and be like, we're taking down Hellfire Club. Like that's not gonna, Hellfire Club got money. They got muscle. A lot of their muscle is the people who used to be with them. So, I mean, feelings. So he's trying to drink his feelings away. Meanwhile, Polaris is baby. Dawn is needing him, basically. She's got a crazy, severe case of jaundice. I don't, I, I mean, writers, what are we doing? What What are we doing? Is this how we were going to get them back together? This was how we we're going to cause the catalyst? Jaundice? Anyway, that's what they go with. Baby suffering from jaundice. All the light therapies they've been using are not working. Doctors like, given the dad's powers, probably the best bet. Cool. Polaris is like, get Marco's. Fix this damn baby. Do it now. The cuckoos, aka all of the clones of what's her face, Emma Frost, they're like, no, bitch, we ain't doing that. And she was like, yes, the fuck you are. So <laughs> Reva gets involved, orders them to do it. They mind fuck Marcos into coming with them. He makes it into Hellfire 2.0, gets a random speech from Reva. Like, honestly, bitch, what did you think he was going to do? Just like calmly listen and be like, I understand and like take a note or something. Like, what what did you think he was going to do? I don't I don't understand your, your whole speech. You should have just been like, yo, we need you to fix the baby. Don't fucking touch anything. I'm going to kill you. Like that, that should have been it. It should have been three points done. But instead, she's like trying to come at him in like a business aesthetic and like I need you to understand type of thing and he's just like fuck you bitch I need to see my baby and Polaris I don't care what you gotta say they take me to see the baby holds the baby apparently that's all that was needed we don't even see like the sunlight part happen he just holds the baby 
And then the doctor kind of looks at the baby and it's like, okay, we're good. Like, that's it. That's not how jaundice works also, by the way. You don't just do like a light therapy for two minutes and then you're like, cured, baby cured. There's, it takes a lot. It takes phases. It takes phases to help with that. Okay. Okay. So whatever. This is an X-Men show. Marcos fixes the baby. Marcos starts to panic because now his time with the baby is done. His time with Perlora is also done. He gives her a very heartfelt speech about how he loves her and he misses her and he should have ran after her. But he was dumb. And she was like, too little, too late. And then he was like, well, I can stay here. We could be a family here. And she was like, you know we can't. You're not going to agree to everything that's happening. There's no way we can do that. Pause. If she knows that he is not going to agree to what they're doing, that means there's a part of her that understands that what they're doing is a terrible, terrible mistake. It's a terrible, terrible mistake. And they've been hinting at it here and there between her speeches with Andy and her one-sided conversations with Don and her, like, the, the slight conversation we got between her and Reva. You see that she... Even though she's, she it was gung-ho about this and has her moments where she thinks this is a good plan, there's still parts of her that's like, maybe all the death is not needed. Maybe. But also, you got the crazy cuckoos playing in her mind. So you got all of that. They force Marcos to leave. You got the cuckoos trying to get Marcos to leave. Again, randomly, for whatever reason, Marcos digs deep in his memories of Polaris and their love and now the baby, and it's enough for him to shake the stupor of the cuckoos trying to get him out of the building. Pause again. Here's where he fucks up. So he shakes the stupor, which is enough to shake the cuckoos. He does manage to take one of them down, but he's not aiming for heads. He's aiming for arms. Okay, okay, Marcos, come on. Ninja, please, come on. I need you to, I need you to focus, sunburn. I need you to use that palm on some heads. If you take out one of them, you would have been golden, but you didn't. You just kind of clamped on somebody, whatever. And he tries to, he, but he does get the message out to Polaris that they are, they've been lying to her. The Kuklas have been lying to her and they've been in her head. How successful this message is going to be? Probably not. We still have a full season to go for the gifted. So there's that. And it ends with Reva basically doing her falsetto note and taking him down and uh, him burning himself. Yeah, somehow his powers start working intravenously and burn his arm from the inside out. I don't know. Her power makes no sense. So there's that. And it ends with Marcos kind of falling into Clarice and Johnny's place or hotel. I don't know if they're saying a hotel or their place. One of the two. And it's just like, we need to take the Hellfire Club down. Whatever, Marcos. Into chapter Papa Von Strucker. Chapter Papa Von Strucker is by far the most interesting one for me. Again, like I noted in the last episode, I love the arc. I love that he was a scum of the earth prosecutor who without feeling, with complete apathy, was just going after these mutants like they were insects. He couldn't care less what happened to them. And then the stuff happened with his kids. So that started to shift his view on things. And then the history behind his father and his whole his, his whole family line starts shifting more things. And now the power is basically like waking up right now. It's been stifled for a very long time. But whatever hold his dad had, whatever formula he had come out to, it wasn't a forever thing. And now it's coming back to fruition. 
And I actually believe the logic behind this because his life has been nothing but a stress mountain for the last year. So I could, under, and then if you read any kind of X-Men comic, if you're familiar with any kind of mutant or special power ability type situation, stress is a factor, anxiety is a factor, the self-preservation mode is a factor in awakening these abilities. Like, And he's never really had that as a rich white guy who was just basically selling these people away for the longest. And now he's at the highest point of that. His son's gone, his daughter's a wreck, his wife is a mess. They barely made it out with their lives in the first place. High, he watched his father die. High stress, high, high, high stress. So his power waking up makes sense. And the fact that he was trying to stifle it, also making sense. So we see it come to fruition, kind of culminate in a messy way which makes sense again. He is trying his best to keep it a secret that his arm is ever so often just corroding things. He took out a, a, he took out a safe, he took out a filing cabinet and part of a wall, and then was like, I don't know how to turn this up. I don't, I don't know what happened. So he's seen with his daughter, high stress situation again. They're talking about stuff with Andy. He's talking about her feelings on everything. And she's freaking out about like some of the people they had to kill in order to save themselves type of thing. In his stress, his arm starts to glow. And then he gets even more stressed because his daughter's like, dad, your arm is glowing. And he had been trying to hide it forever. So in his stress, power completely awakens and he completely corrodes the steering wheel in front of him and part of the dashboard of the car. And now he has nothing to steer this damn car with. And he's also in a panic. So he braking and everything, it's not, it's not clicking right away. They nail it into a car. It causes an accident. The good news was it was like a, <laughs> well, kind of, it was a parked car outside of, of a construction site. So they can't immediately see what's happening on the street, but they can hear the accident. So in his stupor of everything just happening at one time, he manages to realize we got to get the fuck out. We have stolen medical supplies. We're on the run. We're technically dead, but also kind of wanted. So all of that, all of that's got to happen. We got to get out of here now. They get their meds, they get out of there, they hotwire another truck, and they boot it out of there. Um, meanwhile, that detective dude is back, and he's just like trying to, he doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm not even gonna go in there. He just knows he's back. So there's that. But Papa Von Strucker finds himself having to like really sit and talk to his daughter about everything that's going on. And she kind of gets, leans into him and is like, why didn't you tell us what was going on? This is part of the fucking reason why Andy's gone in the first place. Like all these secrets, not trusting each other, not telling each other everything more than anything. We need to lay everything out right now. Everything needs to be out in the open right now. And he kind of takes that. And uh, next thing we see, he they've made it back to the safe house. And he gets his wife. And he tries. He starts talking to her. And then he tells her, um, yeah, I have powers also. So that's happening. And she responds in a nice way. She gives him a hug. She knows, she knows how startling it's got to be for him. And that we kind of ended on a Swedish, I'll say Swedish note. She's still crazy. She's still trying her best to get Andy back, but we got all that. Um, what I wanted from this episode was more Morlocks. I would have loved, if we have a stupid standalone episode for Michael for American Horror Story, we should have had a standalone episode for the Morlocks. I'm just saying. We should have seen what else they were up to. They gave some great intel. They let uh, Clarice and Johnny know that the Hellfire 2.0 Club is tapping into the health, the state health files 
for nefarious reasons, it's probably tied to a mutant gene. They're probably trying to track to see which people have it, which people don't. They're probably doing some sort of genocide. I wouldn't put it past them to think of a genocide because it was founded by Magneto. He was a fan of this, of just killing everybody who's not a mutant, you know, in order to cleanse the world. I wouldn't put it past them that that is what they're after. But I wanted more Morlocks. I wanted to get to see more Morlocks. I wanted to see more characters that we may or may not know of because they're not huge outside of X-Men fans. Like if you don't read the comics or remember the TV series, you don't know who the hell these people are. And then you get much of an intro. So I would have loved a more Morlock time. Um, and also I loved that the leader of the Morlocks, Erg, shaded the fuck out of the X-Men. <laughs> like it was, it was a quick line, but it was a prominent line. And it made sense. He gave a whole speech about how, I mean, like Clarice is over there trying to tell him like, listen, we are doing the same thing with my group. We're part of the mutant underground. You know, we should work together type of deal. We're all after the same goal. And he's quick to correct her. He's like, little girl, we are not after the same goal. X-Men was fighting for tolerance. And basically when you're fighting for a tolerance, you're fighting to tolerate something you hate. We want to live. We want to live openly and wherever we want to go freely freely and openly that's what we want we don't want a tolerance we want the same rights as anybody else and it kind of like kind of kind of like she's like oh there is a difference like you see you see a little bit of recognition it happens super fast but i love that he shaded the shit out of the x-men i mean that's also part of the core conversation between magneto and xavier in the first place you've got xavier who takes more of like a, we need to work together as one approach. And then you've got Magneto who's like, fuck these haters. Like they're never, they're never gonna work with us on that scale, ever, 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 ever. We need to be the ones that are leading us type of deal. So there are two, there are two dynamics that are completely, they're, they're pretty different. They're in totally different sides of things but I, I liked it I liked that he was like listen they were trying it their way the longest they did not succeed it's it's time to do something different cool and that's gonna be pretty much it so short-ish I did two shows in this little recap but but yeah so like I said I'm gonna still watch The Gifted they did a little bit better probably because there was less Andy and we'll see what's gonna happen with them next week uh next I'm gonna be talking about DC TV two shows at, at least made it back uh for me to catch i haven't caught super supergirl just yet but flash and black lightning came back and i also watched dc streaming's titans more on that right after this hey it's joe aka the curvy geeky fangirl and i wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to this podcast and also to ask you to rate subscribe and comment anywhere you hear this podcast because it really helps me out just let me know on what it is that you guys like to listen to or what you think I should skip over. You can also reach me through my social medias. I am everywhere as Curvy Geeky Fangirl, with the exception of Twitter. Of course, Twitter has limitations. So take out that A and take out that I on Fangirl, but you'll still reach me that way. You can also hit me up at my website, CurvyGeekyFangirl.com. All right, so DCTV, I'm going to mash this all together and make chapters. Chapter Black Lightning, Chapter Flash, Chapter Titans. Titans is going to be, who is going to be an interesting one? So Black Lightning first, 
Black Lightning is a favorite. Black Lightning is a favorite. If you listen to the show at all, Black when the first season was happening, I may have said Black when the first season was happening. I meant back. So all of that. I love Black Lightning. The writing on Black Lightning is great. It's great for what it does. It still keeps a comic book happiness to it, but it also ties in a lot of what is happening in the real world right now to the black community pretty heavily, pretty openly and unapologetically. They put it all out there. And this season is no no exception to the rule at all. They kickstart this episode with the death, the murder of a child at the hands of police officers. Right away, right away, we get jump right jump into that. Uh, but they kind of tie it into the storyline. So in Black Lightning, uh, with its return especially, we get the family, we get the Freeman family. Oh, is it Freeman? I think Freeland is the is the place. Yeah, it's Pierce, the Pierce family. There we go. We get the Pierce family. Jefferson is still doing his Jefferson stuff, thinking that he has to take the weight of the world on his hands or on his shoulders. All the time. He's fighting with Lynn because he doesn't want Lynn to get into in and over her head with the green light kids. Lynn is his wife. She has no superpowers. Um, but she has the most knowledge about the green light kids in the first place. So these are the kids that were taking green light, which was a drug from the first season. The side effect of green light was that it was giving these kids powers. And then we found out that was the purpose of green light. It was to test these kids to see how they reacted to what they were trying to hope and hope to weaponize, basically. And it was something that they had tried to test on kids like 30-ish years before, 20-ish, 30-ish years before. Uh, and that ended up not succeeding, you know, because A, Gamby got in the way and he kind of like just fucked up their scenario. But also, <laughs> but also, you know, human testing. So there were threats about the information leaking and whatnot. And then they try to restart the game with season one uh, using Tobias Whale to try and get all that distributed. Kind of worked, kind of didn't. They de- the kids were definitely taking it and it was causing some crazy reactions, but it was also causing some kids to have super abilities. And they were just like, what is happening? So we got all that. Uh, we catch up with the girls and Nessa is still taking things into her own hands. She is still like, I'm gonna fix it the way I know how to fix things kind of deal. We get a side story, well, tied to the Greenlight kids, in which uh, the parents of these kids have no rights in basically taking their kids home, taking their kids home and protecting them or just just checking in with them. Some of these kids have been missing for days, weeks, months, a year, years. And now, uh, once the government was made aware of the illegal testing that was going on, they're not releasing these kids to their parents. So they got to take it to court. They got to take it through the legal channels to try to get these kids back. That's going to cost money. And it's money that this this town does not have. So you see them at the church, uh, just trying to figure out what the hell they got to do. And Anissa gets an idea on how to help them to get money. And that's to rob thugs and dealers. So... You know, consequences, what are those? So she recklessly just goes in there. I mean, she's kicking ass. She's kicking ass, taking the money that she needs to take. It is foolish to think there's not going to be all consequence to, to what she's doing, or at least a consequence to the church. Let's, let's not get foolish with it. My brother actually pointed out that, you know, she almost didn't learn anything from the first season, which is kind of true, other than how to fight better. She kind of didn't learn anything from the first season. She just was like head first. This is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it, and no one's going to stop me kind of deal. And for that episode, no one has stopped her, but it doesn't mean it's never going to happen. So we get that. Poor Jennifer is doing her best Sabrina the Teenage Witch. If you ever watched Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the movie, 
with Melissa Joan Hart. There's a whole scene in there when she's about to come into her powers where when she's sleeping, she would like float above her bed. And that's what's happening to Jennifer. When Jennifer's sleeping, her powers are activating and she's floating above her bed. Jennifer, they've been showing her to be the the scaredy cat. I don't want to say the scaredy cat, but the most apprehensive about having these abilities of the family between uh, Anissa and between Jefferson. She does not want them. It freaks her the hell out that she's got them. And she also happens to be a strong power holder. That's a term I'm gonna use. Her abilities are strong, but they're flaring up. She doesn't know how to control them. Plus her emotions are tied into it. She needs help. If you listen to my other podcast, the POC podcast, I've talked with Shay of Shay Cherie Show fame. Uh, about how they're introducing a new, is it, what do they call it? Like a guest star, special guest to the show. And uh, basically, Jennifer is going to get a counselor who also has abilities to kind of help her with what's going on. Like they leaked that out already. And they're definitely setting the precedent of like why Jennifer needs his help. Like she's going through it right now. So we see that happening as well with Jefferson and Lynn, like kind of like, like looking at each other, like what the heck do we do? What do we got to do? Because things are escalating quickly for poor Jennifer. And we got the return of Tobias Whale. So Tobias Whale makes his, his appearance at the very, very end. He has a whole showdown with Kara. Kara, if you remember, she was the vice principal, principal to Jefferson's principal. She also turned out to be a scouter for the ASA who was illegally doing this testing. She makes a plea to Gamby. She's like, listen, <laughs> I'm going to die. I need to get out of this ASA business because apparently I was in an illegal team and they are not asking questions. They are just killing folks. And she's, she like pleads to Gamby, like, I need you to help me get out and get out for good. And he just kind of looks at her like, you stupid bitch. Like, I can't help you. <laughs> like, he's, like, what do you think I'm going to do? You're part of the reason that we had that hellish year last year. But she's just like pleading to him. And then she gives him some tidbits of information of like, ooh, I know where the briefcase is that that scientist had. Uh, and how this leads to green light. I can get you these answers. So if I get you the answers, will you help me get out? And he's like, well, let's see the suitcase first. And she's like, bet. And she goes into the Bias Whale's hideout with like night vision goggles and what looks like a scuba suit and is just like making her way downtown, walking fast, you know, faces pass as she goes by. So clearly Tobias Whale is just waiting for her in his office. And he sees her and he's like, um, can I help you, man? Like, what are you doing here? And she's like, I need the case. And he's like, the fuck you do? And he shoots her with a harpoon. He shot her with a harpoon. They had a whole little, a little fight scene that it resulted in her getting shot in the stomach by a harpoon. I don't even think she got the case. Did she get the case? I do know that she's got this harpoon in her. She manages to snap the rope wire, whatever is attached to that harpoon, so that she can move freely, but with the harpoon still in her, and then jumps out a window. I don't think she's dead. I don't know how far she's going to go with this harpoon in her, and I don't know if she got the briefcase. But now we have another player in the game. We got Kara, who is skilled, a betrayer, but skilled. And is she going to last the full season? questions about and we got my boo Tobias Whale I still don't know why I'm insanely attracted to this character but I am he's evil he's evil he's he doesn't care about people at all 
but I'm still like, you know, it's okay. <laughs> and I just gave people a hard time for liking Michael from American Horror Story. But you know, yeah, that's the thing that's happening. So yeah, that's all that's really happening in Black Lightning. And then real quick into Flash, real quick into Flash, uh, we basically just picked up right the hell where we left off in the previous season. Nora's here. Nora is the daughter of Barry. And oh, I wanted to call her Alex. That is not her name. Iris, there we go. Barry and Iris from the future. If you watched Young Justice or read the comics in any kind of capacity, there's a whole storyline where a, well, I guess like a, yeah, a descendant of the Flash comes from the future to the past to fix something in the past so that their future will change. In Young Justice, it is, what do they call him Bartholomew? Barty? There is another speedster, and he's the grandson of Barry Allen, and he comes from the future, a post-apocalyptic-esque future, to the past to help fix his future. Uh, and it leads to a bigger storyline. And they're kind of following the same steps with Nora. Like Nora's there and she's dropping hints about what she knows about the future. And you got Barry who kind of doesn't know what to do with her. And, and he's got feelings about people messing up the timelines because he did it and it fucked everything up. And now he's got this daughter who's doing it. But then at the same time, for and I'm not sure they fully explained why. He just kind of lets it go. And it's like, well, I'm going to enjoy the time I've got with our daughter. Uh, but you also have Nora like keeping space between her and Iris for some reason. And Iris like kind of panicking about that. Like, why is this happening? Okay, okay let's see. We'll see how this goes. So we've got that. Uh, we did get to see Wally again. Although if you don't follow the news, Wally, a.k.a. Kenyon Lyons. I'm so sorry. I think that's his name. Anyway, the actor who plays Wally, he's taking a break from all the shows, all the DC shows. So this is like, I want to say this is the last instance we're going to see him in the series for a while, for a long time. So we got to see him though, which was really cute. Got to see that back. Um, we got to see Cisco still dealing with the fallout from him and Gypsy's breakup. We've got Caitlin with her own mystery of like how she may or may not have still been Frost as a little kid. And then they added an extra bomb in which, um, what is his name? Oh no. I don't remember his name. Oh, the stretch guy. The stretch guy did some detective work and found out that the death certificate for Caitlin's father is a fake. Of course, why not? Let's do. Let's let's go down this rabbit hole of her dad's not really dead, and maybe he tested her on with some stuff, and blah 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 blah. Who cares? So, unless her dad's Mister Freeze, make her dad Mister Freeze. I don't think they're going to. In the comics, it's not tied together at all. You don't have Killer Frost and Mr. Freeze, and like they're not offshoots of each other, but I would just love a Gotham tie-in and have her dad be Mr. Freeze, who was looking for a cure for his wife and accidentally turned Caitlyn into Frost. I'd love it. I'd love it a lot. It wouldn't explain how Caitlyn's mother right now is alive and well, but I mean, whatever. But that's pretty much it for Flash. Nora's back. More mystery with Caitlyn. The gang's all together. That's it. That's all we got. Uh, and then DC Titans. Okay. I'm also going to keep this short. Listen. Okay. Okay. Listen. Okay. I was very hesitant to get DC streaming in the first place. The DC Universe thing was not really selling me on why I need to get their streaming service. A, it's kind of expensive. You got to pay eight bucks a month or someone say 75 a year for the, for their service. And... Why? I was like, why? What are we getting? Because I didn't have any standalone shows 
that they already were incorporating. And the new shows that they were going to incorporate are going to be week to week. So we're not going to binge them. We literally have to watch them like you would a network television show. And the bar, the bar they set with their trailers for the show weren't high, weren't high. Camp Factor was like Birds of Prey level. So if you don't know what Birds of Prey the TV show is, Google it. You will see the reviews. Titans came out. Titans came out. Okay, I'm going to say the nice things. Nice things first. It was nice to see the live action version of these characters that I really, really liked. I love Teen Titans, the animated series that came out on Cartoon Network. I want to say in the, 2000, the early 2000s. I want to say the early 2000s. It was great. Robin, Starfire, Raven, Beast Boy, Cyborg. Amazing. Titans is not Teen Titans. So we're not getting Cyborg, basically. Everybody else is going to be there. Cyborg is not. And for whatever reason, this is also a world where Robin is an adult, even though he looks like a teenager. And so is Starfire for some reason. Also an adult. Sure. But Beast Boy and Raven, teens. Okay, sure. Also, they randomly gave Raven this random story of her being called Rachel and just people being after her. Probably in the comics, this was a thing. Probably in the comics, there was this whole thing where she thought she was a regular human kid and then found out about her demon father and yada, 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 figuring things out, powers, blah, 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 whatever. But in the TV show that we got for Titans, they spent a lot of time up front trying to showcase her abilities. She's not telepathic. So I don't, I was confused with her having visions of Robin and his family dying. Um, And then also like this weird conversation with somebody who she thought was her mother, but turned out not to be. I still don't know who this woman was to her. Was she clearly a caretaker, but is that it? Was she doing anything else? Like what? What? But she died immediately. The violence in this show is like at a rated R level. So it very much feels like they were like, ooh, we need to take advantage of this being a streaming service and not having the same rules as an as a syndicated network. As a syndicated network, which means we can get as greedy and dark as we want. We're gonna curb a lot of the language for some reason. You're gonna get a fuck here. Did you even get I don't know, I don't think you did. I think we got a shit and like maybe an asshole type word. No, we did get a fuck, because he says fuck Batman. Yep, that was in the trailer. So we do. We get a little bit of language here, but not much. A lot of violence for some reason. It's something about the chemistry right now feels off. It's the first episode. I'm going to give it the credit. It's the first episode. I liked Starfire's little arc. Starfire's little story arc. Cool. We didn't get much time with Beast Boy. We got too much time with Raven. I still have qualms about this Robin casting. Like... Granted, the kid is adorable. I loved him in Pirates of the Caribbean. Great. He looks so young. He looks so young. Like you see him and his partner when he's you know, supposed to be a detective at uh, whatever city this is. He gets a partner. She looks, I don't want to say way older than him, but she looks like an adult talking to somebody in an internship program. So it's taking me a little bit to buy that he's supposed to be like this grown ass adult because it doesn't feel like it. But also, just I, the way the story unfolded, the pacing of the show, like it's all over the place. The special effects we're getting for Raven's power is not making sense. 
I have a thousand questions. And again, maybe this is maybe they're taking it straight out of the comic book. So maybe in the comic book, the way her powers manifest is that it's a shadow version of herself that's just attacking and killing folk. Maybe that's how that works there. Because in all the other iterations, mind you, animated iterations I've seen of her, eyes light up. There is a shadow that kind of comes out the woodwork, but it's never a shadow of herself. So that might be a budgetary thing or something. Titans sucked. Titans was garbage. I'm sorry. That first episode wasn't great. I thought they spent way too much time with Raven. Not enough time with any of the other characters. And why did we only get a glimpse of Beast Boy? Like, why? If you read reviews of um, critics who got to see more episodes, I want to say maybe three or four, apparently the standouts were some of the humor that comes with it. And that it's not a terrible show, but it's also not a great show. It's like middle of the road. So, I mean, something tolerable, something that, I mean, will be okay to see. I'm going to have higher hope for hopefully the next season of Young Justice. Supposedly a lot of the same people are coming back to that project. I'm going to hope for that. They also have another live action show I completely forgot the name of with a bunch of characters I've never, ever heard of. That's also in the works. So, Doom Patrol? I think it's Doom Patrol. I want to say it's that one. I want to say it's that one. The little, they give you, like, if you get the series, the streaming service, they give you, like, these little side snippets. Like, they're short stories for Doom Patrol. Those short stories are pretty funny. I wouldn't mind seeing the live-action version of that. So, we'll see. Also, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser's going to be a part of that. So, that's enough to get me in. I'm, I'm hooked. I'm down. But Titans itself, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a few more episodes. I feel like it's going to be a slow grower. Probably by the end of the series, you're like, okay. Not bad, but I also feel like you have to get to the end of the series to be like, okay, not bad. So we'll see, we'll see, we'll see how that works. Um, super, super short, super short. There you go. I'm gonna quickly touch on Doctor Who right now because I'm just gonna give some feelings and then go into bigger recaps on these at a later time. I'll dedicate a whole episode to them because Doctor Who has a special place in my heart and this geek heart. I love the return of Doctor Who. The Capaldi run was was good it was okay i i I love the first season for capaldi but as the show started to progress like the storytelling kind of went up and down for me i can't speak for everybody else but it definitely went up and down for me like i went from really strong storytelling with eccleson with Tennant, with smith and then we got to capaldi and i know a lot of people weren't fans of the earlier writers i can't even think of their names especially with the other doctors i just mentioned um but I liked it. I got hooked into those stories. But with the Capaldi story, maybe with the breaks they took, maybe because of, of the, the girl companion, I, I know a lot of people really loved this chick. I can't even think of what her name is. I just know she was the impossible girl for a little bit there. And I don't know if she kept that title or not, but whatever. Uh, Claire. I want to say her name was Claire. I'm going to say her name was Claire. I know a lot of people loved her as a companion. I didn't. I didn't like her. I mean, after we got all of the other fantastic standouts, Donna being one of my favorites, then we got Claire, who I felt was like a needy girlfriend. A lot of it. For a lot of it. And I don't think that's any fault of the actress. I think that's the story they gave her. It was a lot. It was very much all over the place of her being like, yes, me and the doctor, romantically. And then, no, just kidding. Not romantically at all. And then, just kidding, romantically. So... I wasn't a fan. I wasn't a fan of that run. And if, to me, it felt like a lot of Capaldi stories kind of, kind of went all over the, over the place. 
But I will say that ending was a hell of an ending for Capaldi. I really, really enjoyed it. And I also loved Bill. Bill being in the story was great. She didn't last long. And she, and, and in my opinion, she got the short end of the stick on this thing. But she was still there. She was still awesome. And now we have the Jody version of the Doctor. We have the first female Doctor. I thought they nailed it. They nailed the almost like the whimsy that comes with Doctor Who. Because it's, it's high camp. That show is high camp. It's just good feels all around, and she did a fantastic job. I know that people had a lot of, apparently they were struggling with the accent. I didn't have any problems with the accents, but I also watch a lot of UK television, so that might also be why, but I loved it. I loved it. I thought it encapsulated a lot of the previous whimsy and humor from the earlier Doctor seasons, also had some stark consequences, which is which was unusual for Doctor Who. I mean, yes, we get some standout deaths in Doctor Who, but right off the bat like that, that was that was something new. But I really, really enjoyed it. And I know the second season dropped Sunday. I haven't caught up to that yet, which is probably why I'm staving off uh, a full review. But so far, so good. The critic reviews for her have been fantastic. I'm in. I'm in for watching the rest of this season off of that introductory hour-long episode we got with the first one so so we'll see we'll see how everything else pans out for that and that's gonna wrap it up here for the curvy geeky fangirl recaps i'm gonna say it's a little bit shorter i don't know if it's actually gonna happen after the editing of this but we're gonna be optimistic but yeah so if you have any comments on any of the shows that i just went over did you guys catch supergirl or the new charmed I'm still in the process of trying to watch those two. That's going to be the next recap for DCTV slash whatever's happening with Charmed. Um, and, and yeah, just let me know your feelings on all of this. Do you like The Flash? Do you like Nora being a part of this new storyline? Uh, Digby, that's his name. Do you think Digby being a detective and him and Caitlin, they keep like almost giving Caitlin a love interest. Do you think that's what's going to go on with uh, Digby and her? Questions? Questions arising? Black, and did you guys catch Black Lightning? Are you excited to see what's going to happen with Kara? Like, she, did she survive the harpoon to the ch- to the stomach? So, all the questions abound. But, like I said, I'm going to try and keep this as weak-ish as I can. Let me know. Uh, you can hit me up at curvygeekfangirl at gmail.com to let me know what your thoughts are on any of the shows I talked about. You can leave me an actual voice message if you have the Anchor app. You can just record something, send it my way. It might even make it on the show. You can also find me on my socials, Instagram and Twitter. I'm under the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. It's going to pop up. If you run the search, it'll be right there. Also, you can still check out for my work over at For All Nerds. I'm going to say it one more time. Your girl is the fashion and lifestyle editor there. So, you know, she fancy. And uh, that's pretty much it. So I hope you guys have a good week and I'll talk to you later. Bye.